particular as being the, some of the little things that run the world. And it's a really, really bold statement. Hello and welcome to Just Questions, where I talk to researchers and students about their research questions and how they ask them. And this episode we have... I'm Kate Parr from the University of Liverpool. Um, so I'm a community ecologist and um, there's several projects that are running in my lab at the moment. Um, one of the largest we're doing is running some large-scale suppression experiments where we're reducing the abundance of ants and termites across large areas of rainforest and savanna to quantify and document their functional importance. I'm also involved in projects uh, looking at the role of disturbance and how it affects insect communities, focusing principally on ants. Uh, and I'm also interested in ant functional traits and the role of particular morphological characteristics and what they actually mean and how they vary geographically. Mm-hmm. So broadly, what kind of methods do you use to answer your questions? What kinds of methods? So um, I guess in terms of the field, the field work kind of side of it, uh, we... we some of it's uh, some kind of large-scale manipulative experiments, so where we're actually manipulating parts of the ecosystem um, and applying you know, particular techniques to do that. Otherwise, it's sampling along gradients of disturbance using standardised trapping techniques for ants. So uh, that might be pitfall traps or baiting. Um, and then looking at the functional uh, functional aspects related to morphology, take lots of measurements of ants. So we go out and catch ants, and the ants that we've caught, usually in a standardised way, mm-hmm. we take a set of standardised measurements um, of various bits of the bodies of the ants um, using ocular micrometer attached to a microscope. So it's, they're fairly straightforward methods. Mm-hmm. I guess they're just, uh, some of them are the s- scope we're doing them, you know, the, the scale we're doing them can be, uh, make things a bit more difficult. I think that, I guess, I mean, most of what we do, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think a lot of our field techniques are relatively simple. So it's a combination of field work and the lab work is mostly identifying, taking some measurements with the ocular micrometer and the microscope. Mm-hmm. But we are interested in increasingly in some of the other techniques like stable isotope analysis, which then tells us something about uh, differences in diet of the ants and those kinds of things. Um, we're also interested in, with working along these dis- these gradients, looking at things like the thermal tolerance of ants. So we'll collect ants and then heat them up and cool them down and basically look at what temperature they die at. Um, so that involves, again, I guess, a relatively simple piece of equipment. So it's not very technical. Mm. We're not really massively lab-based doing loads of molecular work. Okay. Um, so... What, what was the first research question that you ever asked <clears throat> that you can remember now? First research question I ever asked. Hmm. Well, I know that for um, there was a school project I did, probably when I was about 15 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was living in England, um, there was an agricultural scheme that had been introduced, um, which was basically paying farmers to set aside bits of their land and to um, manage them in a much less uh, intensive way. 
And so that there are these areas called ESAs, or environmentally sensitive areas, or uh, SSSIs, sites of special scientific interest. And uh, the scheme was thought to be really good for biodiversity, and I thought it would be quite fun to go and see if that was really the case. And so where we lived in Somerset, in the southwest of England, I went off and sampled plants across fields, different uh, levels um, of this, this agro scheme, um, to see whether there was any difference in the diversity of plants. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if there was. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably wasn't a groundbreaking finding. I can't remember. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, from the first question that you've asked till now, um, you must have the kind of questions that you are currently asking must have changed. Um, is, that, is that right? Yeah, changed a lot. Okay, so what do you think makes a good research question then, according to you? Well, I think it's something you've got to be genuinely interested in, because if you're not really interested in it, then you're not really going to follow through and pursue it to the end. Um, <clears throat> I think some of the best research questions I've had come from observations mm-hmm. um, well that's where certainly a lot of my research questions get generated so it's from being out in the field seeing things happen thinking about why how what will happen next and all those kinds of things which is partly why I really like doing field work mm-hmm. because that's where I think I generate lots of ideas so for instance when I was talking the other night about color mm-hmm. that was from working along this elephant gradient and just thinking these ants at the top of the mountain look really dark all the ones I can see are black are they really darker than the ones at the bottom mm-hmm. so then eventually managed to get a student to work on it and then we found out loads of cool stuff so so yeah mm-hmm. so talking about ideas um, what was uh, or what's the fa- favorite idea that you've ever had like of your own Favourite idea I've ever had? Mm, that's tricky. I think the colour one was a pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, is is there a change in colour under different environmental conditions? Essentially, that was the question we were asking. So why are things different colours? And does it relate to their environmental conditions? Um, and I think colour is completely neglected. No, people don't really think about it. <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay. It's a hard question when someone asks you the best idea. I need to find best. Well, there might be a favorite idea of your own. Like this is something that I like. The pet idea. Yeah, pet idea. I mean, there is another one that relates to. Um, so I do a lot of work on fire ecology, which doesn't relate particularly to ants. Um, and there's been a lot. Of so places like this savannah and other uh, other areas that are flammable, the use of fire is quite contentious. People are always debating about how should you burn? Should you burn at this time of the year or that time of the year? How frequently should you burn? All these questions about fires. And someone came up with this idea about pyrodiversity. They thought if you have a diversity of fire regimes, then more likely is to support a diversity of um, animals and plants. So the more biodiversity you're likely to have. So this term, pyrodiversity, was something I've been testing for a while. <clears throat> and I was increasingly coming to the conclusion through my work that pyrodiversity doesn't really matter. And then I had a bright idea thinking about how much vegetation structure changes, thinking actually I think it is more likely to matter in wet places because there's 
much greater potential to, for vegetation to change from being very dense, thick vegetation to being very open. Mm-hmm. Whereas in dry areas, vegetation doesn't have that potential to change so much. So I thought, well, let's. I think it would be wetter areas, and we actually we've just tested this across Africa at a continental scale. And in fact, it is true that pyrodiversity is greater in wetter areas and does appear to affect biodiversity more there. So I was kind of pleased about that because this little hypothesis that I'd been developing and thinking about for years, A, we could finally test, and B, actually, was what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was quite nice. So um, coming back to the current research that you do, Mm. um, you had a really nice question, do little (laughs) things around the world. Could you well, tell? Yeah, yeah, Wilson's statement, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, could you tell more about that? So, um, I guess it was a paper. I think it was in 1986. Probably mm. got this wrong now. Where um, E.O. Wilson wrote a paper. He was talking about the importance of invertebrates. Um, but in that paper, he highlighted the importance of ants, uh, in particular, as being the some of the little things that run the world. And it's a really, really bold statement. In fact, it's quite, I guess, in a sense, quite easy to say things like that, but it's really, really hard to test. Because the only way you can truly test it is by seeing what happens when you don't have little things there. And because ants are incredibly dominant, there's very species-rich, there are huge numbers of them, um, they're one of the obvious groups that could be responsible for the little things that run the world. So now we're testing that with these large-scale suppression experiments, reducing their abundance uh, hugely, so you know by about uh, 90% reduction in ants in these areas, and then seeing just how they affect a range of things from the other invertebrates in the community, how they affect um, soil structure, nutrient cycling, plant growth, herbivory, uh, a range of um, other parts of the environment, the ecosystem, and um, key ecosystem processes as well. Okay, great. So, um, final question. (laughs) Do you have any advice for students that might be just starting off their research? Um, I think it relates to when you said about how you get ideas. I think just make sure what you're doing is something you're genuinely passionate about. And if you're not, don't be scared to say, I think I'd rather do something else. Um, Mm -hmm. I was once writing a grant proposal and I felt somehow that I, I needed to include some kind of social aspect to it, and not social as in insects, mm-hmm. like ants, but people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I tried to squeeze people into this, and it felt so uncomfortable, and eventually I just decided, no, I actually wasn't really interested in people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I took it out, and I was so glad, because I think I would have been trying to force myself to do something I wasn't interested in. Mm-hmm. Um but I also think at the same time it's quite important to be open to all kinds of things and expose yourself to lots of people who do work on different things because you never know what that might lead to. Because I know through my involvement with uh, a paleoecology lab and sort of ecosystem process lab that I've learned so much. Insect physiologists, you know, wasn't what I was originally interested in, but just hearing about the, these kinds of things. Um, it broadens your horizons and all kinds of opportunities might await that you hadn't actually thought about. Mm. Great. Thanks very much, Kate. Okay, no problem. Follow Just Questions on iTunes and SoundCloud. And follow your host on Twitter at Ravindra underscore PN.